Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Refuge, and uh, what a wonderful morning to come together and uh, fellowship, all centered in Christ and according to uh, His truth. Um, may He be honored and glorified this morning as we, uh, not only this morning we started out with a time of worshiping God, uh, but that continues on as we study God's Word. Um, <clears throat> this morning, we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 7. And the title of this morning's message is Man's Traditions, God's Commandments, and What Defiles a Person. Man's Traditions, God's Commandments, and What Defiles a Person. Much to cover there. But oh, how fitting, how applicable this study is to the day in which we're living in today. The same application back in the day when Jesus was walking the earth, it's the same application. There's nothing new under the sun. <clears throat> so let's begin by reading Mark chapter 7, verse 1. It says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews <clears throat> do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Oh, Heavenly Father, as even we read through those verses as we consider what Jesus is being confronted with. Lord, it just reminds me of my own heart, of how it is that I could make a standard. I could put a requirement before others that is not in line with your word. Lord, we can all do that. And I know from time to time we, we do that very thing. I ask, Lord, that not only would you forgive us, Lord, but uh, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. Father, that your spirit would move freely here. That, Lord, you would help us to understand the important lessons that we have before us. 
for your word is truth. Your spirit teaches us all things. And Father, you desire that we would know these things, that we would glorify you and honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the manner in which we conduct ourselves. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start out by reading a a few verses in Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says, What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this new thing? Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 18 says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And finally, Ecclesiastes 12 13 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Hey, listen, just like the building of the Tower of Babel, man has been trying to reach the heavens on his own and has utterly failed. Always will fail. Because there's only one way. It's only through Jesus Christ. It's not what we've done, it's what he's done. Life without God is it's confusing. Life without God, without Jesus, the Savior, the way, the truth, and life, we sung the song, is utterly hopeless. There's nothing new. The depravity of man's heart, if left unkept and undisciplined unto God, will always rebel against God. And although we know wisdom is good... We know, as we read, one sinner can destroy much good. You ever been a part of that? I think you'd be lying if you didn't say that at some point you've been a part of that very work. Sometimes we think we can't be a part of that. And yet, I found myself, one sinner, destroying much good. Well... The religious men of Jesus' day are still around today. Remember, there is, as we read, there's nothing new. And the word of God will always reveal what is true and what is false. Whether we agree or not, whether we share our opinion or not, it matters not because what is true is in God's word and what is false is always revealed. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What Jesus reveals in this morning's passage with a pointed response to the critical, condemning, and hypocritical statements of the Pharisees serves to address the same foul interpretation of God's word today. The tradition steeped in false doctrine. And he explains what truly defiles a person. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43, 
Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, Jesus, as he was addressing scribes and Pharisees, says this, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And the woes continue. Uh, if you'd like, you can mark that, put a piece of paper in there, and just read through how it is that Jesus responds to the scribes and the Pharisees through that section. Listen, the misinterpretation and the teaching of false doctrine is no laughing matter, it's not something to take lightly. It is not without, you see, eternal significance. This is why Jesus addressed those who lead people astray from the truth with such strong words. In Luke chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, and he were cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. That's how serious. And these little ones, as I've said time and time again, is not re referring to little kids, little children. Sometimes we read that and we think, maybe it's these little kids. But it's not these little kids. It's not the children that he's referring to. Who he's referring to are those who are infants in the word who do not yet have uh, discernment sharpened. They do not know the word of God well. well his rebuke and his warnings, strongest words were reserved for those who were leading people astray. Listen, in order for you to know the difference between man's traditions and God's commandments, you must know and understand God's word. Otherwise, you will follow some man's interpretation of God's word simply without knowledge. It's the same thing as if you would tell a little kid. A little kid is a sponge. Tell him anything and he'll believe anything you tell him. Why? Because he doesn't know the difference between what's right and what's wrong or what's true, and what is false, you can tell them anything. In the same way you can tell a baby Christian anything, and without knowing the Word of God, they'll believe it. 
Even worse is following someone that has made stuff up, right? Like many were doing in Jesus' day. You see, God desires that you know the difference between man's traditions and God's commandments. And also, what actually defiles a person. What makes a person impure and dishonorable toward God? The sin that can defile a person, a community, and we know even a nation. So, I broke it down into three sections. The first section is man's traditions held over God's word. And that's verses 1 through 8. Verses 9 through 13 is twisting God's word to serve self. And lastly, verses 14 through 23 is defilement comes from within. Let's begin with man's traditions held over God's word. Again, verse 1, let's read it again. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men." So as we see here, the Pharisees were at it again. They've been sent from Jerusalem to, quote-unquote, evaluate Jesus' teaching. We saw a similar delegation back in Mark chapter 3 come from Jerusalem, saying that Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And that's in verse 22 of Mark chapter 3. Were these statements true or these implications true simply because it came from Jerusalem or because uh, it was the scribes or the Pharisees saying it? And the answer is, of course not. Remember that all of this is taking place after Jesus has has already done some amazing things. He's taught, he's healed, he's corrected. He's fed the multitudes. He's taught the disciples some important lessons, sent them out two by two, learning to trust in each other and trust in the Lord, to be discerning as they're ministering. So then you have another confrontation, another delegation sent by Jerusalem to critique Jesus' teaching. But was it really to truthfully evaluate his teaching? Remember as we read in Hebrews how it is that the word of God is living and active. It's not Rawl's word that is living and active. It it is sharper than any two-edged sword. My word is not sharper than any two-edged sword. 
able to pierce to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God. Remember this the next time that God has done something amazing in your life. After that, just because Satan attacks you and tries to steal your joy and deceive you into thinking that you're defeated or have done something deserving of God's judgment. Remember this. For God did not promise us a rosy life, regardless of what some pastor in Texas tells you. That's untrue. In fact, our shepherd, our good shepherd, tells us that in this life, you will know tribulation. But he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, oftentimes we reach those mountain peaks and we can look across and see so much. And the next moment we find ourselves in the valley once again. But you see, that is not by chance. It's by design. God has a, a, a purpose for that, a, a lesson to be learned. We can easily praise God and glorify Him and say that we are on level ground. We have fallen into rank and file with everyone else on the mountaintops. But it's when we're down in the valley that we're tested but are we found true? Because it can be that God is simply allowing Satan to attack you in this manner to further ground you in your faith in Jesus and the word. To hold to what is true, especially when tried. Hey, listen, it's easy. It's easy to say you're combat ready. But it's quite something else when bullets are flying to hold your ground, your position. And then think and remember what to do. Do you still believe and hold to what is true? That's when you're tested. That's when things are revealed. That's when you must realize and humble yourself and know that God is faithful and he is with you and he'll, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. What was it that these Pharisees and scribes were evaluating? Was it his teaching? Was it to make another false claim that he was acting in the name of Satan? Remember, they had already accused him of doing that. To confront him as to why his disciples don't fast? No, none of that. This time the accusation was that some of his disciples were eating without ceremoniously washing their hands according to the traditions of the elders. Oh, God forbid, right? Think about it. In this day, in the day in which we're referring to, this tradition was something that they held in high honor. I'll, I'll explain a little bit more in a few moments. But this was a big deal. Well, where did they get this? They had to come from Scripture, right? Well, it's found in Exodus uh, chapter... Uh, is it 20? 
The law states um, that the priests were to wash their hands and feet prior to entering into the tabernacle and ministering to the Lord. But what they did was they took this further and established uh, to be the tradition of the elders something that went beyond what was in the law. What was meant for the tabernacle is now for everyday living. The Jews, especially the religious leaders, religiously cleansed their hands physically. So they they washed their hands like you and I would do before eating. And then after that, they would go through a whole ritual of doing it spiritually. Um, They had a certain amount of water that they would wash their hands with, and they'd go from their fingertips to their wrists, and then from their wrists to their, the, uh, the tips of, of their fingers. And they, w- they would say a, a prayer, Blessed be thou, O Lord, King of the universe, who sanctified us by the laws and commanded us to wash the hands. And think about this. The Pharisees were watching the disciples closely, watching Jesus closely, and what they observed was they couldn't find anything wrong with this teaching. The things that he was doing were truly miraculous. Amazing, right? But what they observed that some of Jesus' disciples were doing was they were eating with hands that were defiled. Not ceremoniously washed according to the tradition of the elders. Again, this was a big deal in in. This day, they were accusing Jesus' disciples of dishonoring God, sinning against God, by simply not partaking in the ceremonial washing of their hands. They were accusing them of sinning against God and therefore dishonoring themselves and therefore they were questioning Jesus' integrity toward God. And after all, If you're not requiring your disciples to do this, what kind of rabbi are you? A rabbi by the name of Eliezer said, quote, he who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come, close quote. And in the Mishnah, that is Jewish traditions, it says, quote, it is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict scripture itself, close quote. Think about this, right? Yikes, yeah, absolutely. And this is the sentiment shared by this delegation sent by Jerusalem to, quote unquote, evaluate Jesus' teachings and acts. See, Jesus knew this was a stance they took. So we need to pay Close attention to how it was that Jesus responded to this question, to this statement, to this accusation. Again, let's go to verse 6, where it says, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then he said, you leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. The question is, why did Jesus respond so sharply? It's Because they were holding man's traditions over God's word. 
In other words, they were redefining what defiles a person to elevate their own traditions even above God's word. You know, uh, defile is a military term. Uh, Rank and file, as I referred to it earlier, is a military term. So to be defiled is to leave level ground, to leave the rank and file. To be defiled is to walk in treacherous area, in unlevel area, at the side of a hill, on your own, exposed. That is defilement in the military sense. But there is more. Any times man's, anytime man's, tradi- man's tradition is held over God's word, it is elevating man's word over God's word. Have you ever done that? Because Jesus was saying that they sounded good to everyone who was equally undiscerning and deceived. Think about this. They sounded perfectly normal to everyone around them that agreed with them. But their hearts were known by God. And it was God who deemed them to be far from God. He didn't ask the peers, not for them to search their own heart. Jesus himself said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me in teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Their acts of worship, you see, were meaningless, vain. Although they performed them religiously, they were consistent. In fact, in their own eyes, they went above and beyond. And yet Jesus was telling them, it's all empty. In fact, you teach his doctrines, the commandments of men. And Jesus tells them that what they are actually doing is turning their backs on the commandment of God. To observe the tradition of men. Again, as we look to Luke chapter 17, and we go a little further, in Luke chapter 17 verse 1, it says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Again, the word of God. If in this moment... If you could imagine in that moment the Pharisees would have heard the rebuke, the sharp rebuke by Jesus and would have have in that moment humbled themselves and agreed, saying truly, we hold our own interpretation and our own embellishment of God's word above God's word. You're right that this is not a defilement of the person, 
It is not sin to not follow through with this ritual, the tradition of men, of the elders. If in this moment these men would have acknowledged their own sin, then Jesus would have forgiven them. And they would have been better off for doing so. But we don't read that. We don't read that they humbled themselves and we don't read that they repented. In fact, we read that they were further told by Jesus that they twist the word of God to serve themselves. As we go on in verse 9, Says, And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down And many such things you do. So Jesus goes on. And he tells them, hey, listen. You're you're actually twisting the word of God. To mean whatever it is that you want it to mean. To serve yourself. So what is Corbin? Uh, What it means is that whatever a son possesses or saves could be determined. uh, To be specifically devoted to God and therefore... Uh, you could say off-limits to the parents. Therefore, a son in their tradition, in man's tradition, would be freed from honoring his parents by helping them out, uh, from helping them out in their time of need. So, hey, listen, they, they could seem very religious, very pious. You could say, you know, everything that I own and everything... Uh, My savings, everything is is devoted to the Lord. Everything. So therefore, I cannot help you out. But how God sees this is is, is what's of greatest importance. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. And verse 13 says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. You know, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, it says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land, that your Lord Uh, The Lord your God is giving you. This is the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment. And he, Jesus, was telling them, hey, listen, you make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. So it wasn't just that immediate generation, but they've been handing it down from generation to generation to generation. And at the same time, they're to their Contemporaries, they look extra religious. And at the same time, they themselves are being super defiled, you could say. They, they've left file and rank. They are on dangerous ground. And this is just one example. Jesus says, 
many such things you do. So think about this. Have, have you, Pharisees, have you passed this along from generation to generation? The same thing. And you've been twisting, you've been embellishing on the Word of God. In many other areas, have you been holding higher than the Word of God the traditions of man over the Word of God? Because Jesus was giving specific examples of how some specific examples of how they were being hypocrites, leaving the commandment of God and holding to the tradition of men, and how they were rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish their own traditions. He's telling them, warning, I am warning you at this point. Hypocrisy is you're putting up a front. You are acting Religious, and yet you're denying its power. In fact, you're doing worse. You're actually leading people astray. And you are making void the very word of God by your traditions. Twisting the word of God to serve yourselves. And then Jesus gathers all the people to himself and explains it in a very simple way, but expounds to help his disciples understand it clearly. That's why we got to be careful. You know, um, when I'm in a Bible study group and I'm involved in the men's Bible study, and, and when you hear something that is more the traditions of men. In other words, you've heard a pastor say something over and over and over and over again. Over the course of, the year, of years, right? It gets well established in your heart. And then you say it without thinking twice. And yet when you compare it to Scripture, you realize that's not right in context. Uh, we've discussed it with some, in, in some groups, uh, certain sayings that uh, people uh, say um, and do it in, in prayer, do it in, in study groups. And I can't help at that very moment, at that very moment to say, no, that's not right. Let's take a look at it in context. Listen, if you do that for someone else, if you do it in your study group, it's the best thing you could do for your brothers. Sisters, do the same thing. Do it in a loving way, but nonetheless, do not refrain from correcting something that is not sound. Because then you allow the whole group to go on believing that that is sound doctrine. When it's not. That is the worst thing you could do. That is the most unloving thing that you can do. People twist the word of God all the time to serve themselves, to justify their own stance, and you can't do that. When you read God's word, and you must align yourself, your will, to God's will. Man's traditions held over God's word, twisting God's word to serve self, and lastly, defilement comes from within. And again, Jesus explains this very simply to uh, the people who were around him at the time. Verse 14, as we continue, says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, 
But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And so Jesus takes full advantage of the moment, kind of like when he saw the widow put in two mites into the treasury. It was in that moment that he called his disciples over. And there was a, a lesson to be learned. In, in the same way, he takes full advantage of the moment to make sure that the people are not fooled or deceived into thinking that what the Pharisees and scribes were saying was true. You see, God always desires for the truth to be known and understood and that anything contrary to truth is revealed and known for what it is and what it leads to. What, what does it lead to? It leads to destruction. It leads to devastation. It leads to death, ultimately. And Jesus begins by telling everyone in context referring to the whole matter about ceremoniously washing the, the hands before eating, coming from the marketplace, washing all the instruments in a certain way, referring to that. He says there's nothing outside of a person that by going into him will defile or make him impure, desecrated, or impure, unholy, but rather what comes out. In a very simple way, Jesus completely, in just a few words, he completely rejected the tradition of the elders that were being handed down, being spread around. All the Jews, uh, the religious leaders were holding to this, and, and in one fell swoop, he said, it's not right. Reject it. It's not sound. Jesus stated that they had it all wrong, and then at that point, he left. He didn't say anything more. He didn't have to say anymore. Hey, listen, sometimes we get the word of God, and we want to talk it over. We want to, like, just discuss it. And Jesus is very straight and to the point. Oftentimes, he would ask questions. This is a Jewish way of teaching. Why would he ask questions why? Because oftentimes we already know the answer. It just takes for us to, to answer his question in order for us to confess what is true. And so he explained very clearly, very simply, and then he left. They entered the home and Jesus was with his disciples, and his disciples asked him to explain the parable he just told after having entered the house. 
And it's funny that he said, then, then are you also without understanding? See, Jesus at the same time, he expects his disciples to understand something. It's not difficult to understand. It's not difficult to grasp. But he spent a little bit more time and explained to them that it is not food that defiles a person because it enters his, the, the person's stomach and, and is expelled. It, it doesn't enter into his heart. So you understand the difference? Food to the stomach and out it goes. So now we have the, the contrast. So that doesn't defile a person spiritually. It's in that statement, by the way, that Jesus declared all foods kosher. That's not, not what defiles. But what goes into a man's heart is what defiles him because it will eventually come out. That person may hold it for some time, but in time, it will come out. What is in their heart will be revealed. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. This is why the discipline of our thoughts is so important. It is critical. The Apostle Paul knew this very well in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And talk about a man who knew the traditions of, of men, of the elders. The Apostle Paul knew these traditions very well. And yet, this is what he wrote as the Holy Spirit used him. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You know where this this is all taking place. It's in your mind. It's as these thoughts come in. You don't have to spend much time thinking this over. That's why I love this. This is a great example that Jesus speaks simply a great profound truth. Take those thoughts captive and subject them to the authority of God's word. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now again, I remind you that perfect doesn't mean without Error. What it means is maturity, a disciplined mind, one who does takes, take those, takes those thoughts captive and subjects them to the authority of God and does so knowingly, consistently. 
You see, the source of all that defiles a person is found within their own heart. Don't think for a moment that you're without this type of heart. For we have all fallen short of the glory of God. According to Romans 3.23, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. So you need to check your own heart. James 4.1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Not talking about passions at war within someone else. This is why we ought to really consider ourselves. What's at war within you? It's your own passions, your own desires. We are the ones that are guilty of twisting, of embellishing upon justifying our own stance, our own positions, and then trying to explain to someone else how it is that our traditions are more important than what God's Word simply states. Listen, we begin this list of 13 items with evil thoughts. What are evil thoughts? Well, what's immoral? What's wicked? What's What is immoral, that which is contrary to God and His Word is both immoral and wicked. And the heart is the source of enough wickedness that we don't have to look outside of it for anymore. The the only person that we are responsible for and will be held accountable for is, is us, ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9, just in case you want to look to the heart, right? Trust your heart. Let it lead you into satisfaction and contentment. You know, whatever your heart's desire is, you can achieve. Just continue to look inside and you'll find what is true. Trust yourself. Go with your gut feeling. You heard of all that? Yeah? Sounds real good, right? To the undiscerning. But this is what God says. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above some things. No, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I cannot trust my heart. I I cannot wait to be in glory so that I don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm so looking forward to being in just God's presence. One day, one day, one day we will be there. Brothers and sisters, rest assured that in Christ, he is our guarantee. He has given us a spirit as a guarantee, and he seals us for that day. But listen, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you have memorized this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In other words, your whole heart is given to Him. Why? Because it's desperately sick. It's deceitful above all things. And so therefore, you need to give it entirely to the Lord. And then the proverb goes on to say, and do not lean on your own understanding. Just as soon as you start having, uh, like justifying and figuring things out on your own, be warned. Be warned. Warned because it says, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, know him. 
know his word, and he will make straight your paths. Not you, he, the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we go down this list and Mark chapter 7, what we are reading is a list of things that are contrary to God. And again, their source is our wicked hearts. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So what do we do? We discipline ourselves by knowing and thinking right thoughts. We subject ourselves to the Lord and allow him to do that. Philippians 4.8 says what's worthy of thinking. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is important because, again, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out of the heart of man. And it's known by what we begin to speak. Jesus, at this very moment, was setting things straight. Speaking what was true. Why? Because God is interested in your heart. Man's traditions held over God's word, twisting God's word to serve self, and defilement comes from within. While the religious leaders criticized and found fault in Jesus and his disciples according to their extra biblical standards, Jesus continued to teach his disciples what sound doctrine actually is, according to the word of God, and warn them of what was false, where wickedness comes from, and what truly defiles a person. Is your heart devoted to Jesus? And is your life dedicated to his glory in response to the grace of salvation that you have received through faith in Christ? Give your heart completely to Jesus and know the hope of heaven. And know the word of God that you may walk in God's truth and not be taken by false doctrine and misled down a path of destruction and death. Because Jesus came to give us life in that more abundantly. It is found in Christ. Let your thoughts be pure. 
May they be thoughts that are submitted to the will of the Lord according to his word. May we honor and glorify the Lord, not adding to and not taking away from his word, but simply living with fidelity toward God and his word, all to his glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way. Lord, you spoke truth. You are truth. You are the very word, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who became flesh and dwelt among us. And Lord, as you did, Lord, this, this moment, Lord, when you were confronted, Lord, you dealt with what was false in a very direct way. Lord, may we understand the importance of dealing with anything that is false entering into our hearts, Lord, to reject that and not hold the traditions of man or own interpretation of your word higher than your word. But Lord, may we know that we can trust in you. We can place our faith in Jesus Christ and know that we have been saved as we know that we can only be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's the same then, it's the same today, and it will always be that way. And so, Father, help us to know the truth and therefore be discerning and not be deceived by what is false. Help us, Lord. We are in desperate need for our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are desperately sick. Help us to not trust in them, but rather trust in you and demonstrate our love for you by being obedient to your word alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.